You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We've gone from being extremely critical to being very tender. We've gone from being a bigot to a very humble individual. At least that's supposed to be a part of your experience. Listen, gang, we've become members of a new society in which all are equal Jews and Gentiles alike. And listen, God alone can perform such a miracle. How? through the precious blood of Christ. Did you know the blood of Christ provides us an equalizer? In today's message from Pastor Mike, he encourages you that God is not the God of partiality. All of God's sons and daughters are one in Christ. There is no more Jew or Gentile, but all are one in Jesus. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that makes this possible. This grace should make every believer turn from pride to humility and from critical to tender. What an amazing friend and gift we have in the love and sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Need to Remember. So the covenant promises of Jehovah were meant to unite God with his people forever. And listen, go through every promise that's recorded in the Bible. From book, you know, from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. God will make good on every one of those promises for you. It's not all about just Israel, you know, what he's promised to Israel. You know, if, think about it in this way. We are, in a New Testament sense, spiritually Israel. God's people. That's all that Israel is. God's people. We've been grafted in, you see. Again, prior to our conversion experience, we were were without these things. We were without the covenant promise, right? And so the covenant promises of Jehovah were meant to unite God with his people forever. So don't do anything that would disqualify you from God keeping his promise. Make good on the vow and the oath that you made unto him. The only thing that would separate you from God and him following through with the promises that he made to you is your sin. You turn your back upon him. That's the only thing. Nothing can separate you from God except yourself. And the Gentiles had nothing, think about this, prior to the gospel being preached to them, The Gentiles had nothing in their culture to compare with this heritage. Now, 
Now, just for a moment, I want you to think of This would also apply to unbelievers today. You know, think about an unbeliever who has no aptitude for the things of God, the things of uh, the Spirit, right? Uh, they're sort of like foreigners. Uh, they're like strangers who live in another country who don't understand the language, if you will, right? Uh, they're foreigners. They read the word. They're unmoved by the word. They, can, they hear the promises that are made, like, for example, in a service like this. You bring out an unbelieving friend. Maybe you've invited someone from work to come on out. They've agreed. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And they hear some of the things that we're talking about in a service like this one, about some of the promises that God makes and wants to make good for his people. And uh, they, they hear what's being expressed across the pulpit. But then in turn, they ask, to whom does those promises apply? And once again, they're like strangers in another country who do not understand the language, you see. It seems as if it doesn't apply to them. But now, praise the Lord, you know, jump ahead to chapter 3 and verse 6 of the same book of the Bible, that the Gentiles, this is what we become now in Christ, we didn't have this hope before, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. You see, these are some of the things that we should be constantly thinking about, meditating upon it, about, being grateful for. But then there was another thing that they were without, and this would be the fourth thing that Paul draws our attention to, uh, to here from this text that we're treating this morning. They were without confidence. Notice what it says in verse 12, the latter part of verse 12, having no hope. You see, the Gentiles had neither true happiness in life nor confidence in death. You know, go back. I mean, if we didn't know Christ, if we weren't familiar with the Scriptures, what in the world would we look at? What in the world would we have to look forward to? If this is all there was, I'm 70 years old. You know, and you've heard me say this before. I don't want to, you know, sound morbid, but just to make the point, what do I got? Maybe, you know, tops, what, 10, 15, 20 years left? And if this is all there was, I'd be really bummed out, you know? Listen, for me, I know the best is yet to come. But think about these Ephesians. Think about these Gentiles who didn't know about their future, didn't have that hope, didn't have anything to look forward to. For them, it was just a dead end, right? No wonder that they, they lived to get everything that they could possibly get in their own lifetime. But it, folks, it just never gets the job done. The Gentiles had neither true happiness in life nor confidence in death. They also, in life, they didn't have the hope that all things were working together for good. You know, they went through uh, uh, hazards and, and difficulties and struggles, and, and it wasn't just always, you know, kind of just gliding through life un, unhindered or unscathed. Uh, life was difficult, and there's quite a difference between going through trials and difficulties as an unbeliever than it is going through trials and difficulties as a believer. 
you know, seeing God's hand in those things, God working his work through those things, shaping us and molding us, right? And helping us become the kinds of people that he wants us to become. But the unbeliever doesn't have that hope. You know, for them, it's just a roll of the dice. It's just, uh, you know, grasping at straws. There's no rhyme or reason to the things that are going on in an unbeliever's life. You know, we have the hope that all things are working together for good, but the unbeliever, the things that they're going through can absolutely wipe them out. It could be lights out for them, you know, through their current experiences. They had no assurance that life continued beyond the grave and consequently contemplated dying with dread. You know, read some of the early writings in early ancient literature that deals with this subject that was written by the poets and, and uh, you know, other writers of, of, uh, in early history. It was dreadful, the things that uh, they wrote about. Folks, they were going nowhere. The citizens of Ephesus were all confused. Now, where did that confusion stem from? Well, it stemmed from their soothsayers. They were all confused. It stemmed from the promiscuity that they were involved in. And boy, were they promiscuous. For the Jews, you got to put the blame, at least some of the blame, upon the rabbis and the Jewish leaders who themselves weren't following through with their own teaching. All of these things lent itself to, their, to the people being confused. No wonder they were confused. They didn't know what to believe. You know, one writer put it this way. They resembled travelers at crossroads where there was no signposts. Think about that. Shall I say that again? This, was, this is actually a good quote that I found. And this was, this was not, these were the Jews also who had turned their back upon God. Not only the Gentiles, but also the Jews. Let me say it again. They resembled travelers at crossroads where there was no signpost. Folks, truly, they were without confidence. And then finally, the last thing that Paul draws our attention to, the thing that they were without, was that they were without a creator. Notice in verse 12, in the latter part of verse 12, it says that they were without God, right, in this present world. And folks, let me tell you something. To live in this present world without God is the worst place to live anywhere. Think about that. Because you can't make your appeal to God. You know, when the chips are down, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? We turn to the Lord, right? But if you're an unbeliever, you don't, you don't have that capacity. Who do you turn to? You, you turn to your Uncle Nunzio with the juice, the money, the money man? Who do you turn to? Your banker? You're going to borrow the money? Who do you turn to when you get sick? Who do you turn to when one of your children becomes sick? Who do you turn to when you lose your job? You got the news they've downsized and you got your pink slip. You know, who do you turn to in situations like that? Praise the Lord that we are able to turn to God in times exactly like that. But for the unbeliever, that's the worst place to be. There's no God to turn to without God in the present world. Listen, these uh, Ephesians, these Gentiles, had many idols, but the multiplicity of man-made deities could not answer the questions arising from the confusion of their minds. In the 115th Psalm, in verses 4 through 8, we read, 
Their idols are silver and gold, yes. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. In other words, they can't tell you what you need to do. They can't offer any advice or counsel. The eyes they have, but they do not see. They don't understand what you're going through. They can't direct you in the right direction. They have ears, but they do not hear. You know, you can express your, your wants, your needs, your problems, but they fall upon deaf ears. They have ears. The men who made their idols made them with ears, but guess what? They don't hear. They don't have the faculty of being able to hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. Okay, you just add something in there on your own. I don't know how you make that analogy. They can't smell what you're going through. I don't know. <laughs> How's that for an example? They have hands, but they do not handle. They can't reach out to help, right? Uh, in your place, they can't provide through their hands. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. They can't speak, and those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Leave that up there for a second. Isn't it funny? It's amazing. You know, uh, when we abandon the true and the living God, you know, every person worships God, worships a God. And it's usually, if it's not the true, the living, and the one God, that man makes God in their own image, right? To accommodate their needs, their wants, right? And their beliefs. And when God, when man, apart from the true and the living God, make their own God, it looks exactly like them to accommodate their selfishness, their lust, their desires, their wants, right? They make it exactly like themselves. And you look at the gods that they make, and they're exactly like themselves. You know, the Diana, for example, which was the chief goddess of the Ephesians, what, the Ephesians were just all about promiscuity and, uh, and licentious. They were a licentious group of people. And the way that they worshipped Diana was through uh, adultery and fornication. There were thousands of priestesses that were a part of the temple building that came down into the city at night off of the temple mount and through prostitution raised sufficient funds for the upkeep of the temple. But that was widespread. The whole city was given over to lasciviousness and debauchery. And they created their, their, their idol that resembled uh, the lust of their flesh. Diana was this figure that had breasts all over her body and, and, it ex and it expressed the idea of fertility. And that's what they were all about. And it's so very, very true. You know, you talk to a common person and, and you tell them about God. And, and listen, what are you talking about? I believe in God, but I believe in my own concept of God. Well, where'd you come up with that concept? Well, my own carnal mind is where I came up with it. Certainly, it's not a biblically-based uh, truth of the reality of who God is. But isn't it so very, very true? Those who make them are like them. Isn't that true? It's so very, very true. Anyway, I, I just wanted to, to draw your attention to that. So anyway, uh, they, the Gentiles had neither true happiness. Uh, in, oh, I've, I've already gone beyond that. They had many idols, but the multiplicity of man-made deities could not answer the questions arising from the confusion of their minds and could not help them. 
They worshipped Diana. They knew where to purchase the silver images of their famous goddess. And yet they surely understood that such manufactured symbols had not created the physical universe and everything that was contained within it. It was an impossibility. I mean, if they got real, I mean, I remember when uh, I left uh, the East Coast for the West Coast on my quest to know God. And for a season, I wound up in uh, San Francisco. This was after my experiences in LA in an ashram uh, practicing Hatha yoga with Satchidananda. And then my, you know, my journey took me to San Francisco where I was painting houses and sanding floors. And in the uh, apartment uh, complex that I lived in, there was a bunch of Buddhists. And, uh, you know, and they would tell me that, you know, chanting is where it's at. And so, you know, I would go into their uh, apartment and they had this little statue of Buddha all set up and uh, this little altar and everyone gathered around and they chanted and all of these things. And, you know, I tried that for a while, but I didn't find any meaning or fulfillment or satisfaction in that. You know, I just went from, I was just going from one thing to another, to another, to another, you know, traveling all of these, all of these roads. I, I'm just so thankful that God really knew my heart because then it became his responsibility because he knew that I was honestly and truly seeking to know, you know, to know God, the true and the living God. And then it became his responsibility to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to me. It was just a short period of time after that where God started really increasing his work and moving a lot of Christian people across my path and exposing me to the gospel and the teaching of the, of the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. Well, anyway, they worshipped a popular goddess but found no satisfaction in their devotion. In fact, think about this, when Paul came preaching the gospel, many listeners became appalled by the ignorance which had obscured their vision. And weren't you appalled? Weren't you surprised when you, when you understood how that the gospel is so relevant? When it finally dawns on you what life is really all about? When you're awakened to spiritual things, you're appalled to the way that you at one time lived your life, right? Well, at least you should be. Well, that's what was going on with these Gentile believers. You see, they were rescued from the power of sin. They were saved by undeserved grace, and they were welcomed into the family of God. So before, without God, right? Think about it. The, all of these things were, were true. They were without God, living in the present world. They didn't have any of these hopes. Uh, they were without a creator. But now, jump back to verses 19 and 20 of the same chapter. Let me read it for you once again, but add verse 20. But now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Think about that. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You know, it's an amazing what God has done for us. These are the things that we should be constantly reminding ourselves of. You know, there's this stanza of this old hymn that goes like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Oh, how that we need to be mindful of that truth. Listen, they knew. These uh, 
These Ephesians believer, these Ephesian believers knew exactly what Paul meant when he wrote, wherefore, remember. Now, this takes us to our, our last and final point this morning, and I think that this is significant. How did all of this happen? How did these Ephesian believers go through this transformation? Well, Paul gives us the indication here in verse 13. He says, but now, and thank God for those two words, but now, what we were before, but now, right, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near. How? How did we go through this transformation? And by the way, this is a, this is a perfect setup for Communion Sunday, isn't it? For what we're about to do. How did, how did we go through this transformation? How did we secure all of these things, all of the things that at one time we were without? How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as simple as that. This is one of Paul's famous turns in the road, if you will. A reference to what has already taken place in the life of any believer. The apostle has already emphasized the desperate situation of sinners, recorded for us there in verse 12. I won't, you know, go through it again. And now he reaches his turn in the road, if you will, saying, but now in Christ Jesus. What an astonishing statement. You see, gang, a miracle has taken place. Sinners, untouchables, now have the capacity to draw close to God. And it is through his blood shed at Calvary. It's through his blood now coursing through our veins that traditions have been broken. Stubborn people like myself do what they never thought of doing. And there is a change of character that's taken place within us. There's a change of outlook. There's a change of heart. There's a change of virtue. We've gone from being extremely critical to being very tender. We've gone from being a bigot to a very humble individual. At least that's supposed to be a part of your experience. Listen, gang, we've become members of a new society in which all are equal Jews and Gentiles alike. And listen, God alone can perform such a miracle. How? Through the precious blood of Christ. That's the means by which he does it and continues to do it. He's not even done with that work yet. Let us remember these things that we've been talking about. Let us constantly remember the things that we were at one time without. Let us remember these things, ponder these things. It is absolutely amazing what Christ has done for us. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. 
When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.